Once you've seen one EMS system, you've seen 23,272. That's the amount of licensed EMS agencies in the US that respond to 42,500,000 calls, transporting 30,800,000 patients. Yes, the EMS Assessment 2020 is out. I'm Rob Lawrence, and this is EMS One Stop. EMS by the numbers. Where we need to go next. Breaking down the National EMS Assessment 2020 with its insights on telehealth, health information exchange and disaster preparedness. In the words of Dr Tedros, good morning, good afternoon and good evening. The National Emergency Medical Services Assessment 2020 began in October of 2018 and was completed and issued in pre-lockdown March 2020. The document lays out in graphical, easy-to-digest representation the collective image of the state of EMS systems in the USA today. In the survey, 54 of 56 states and territories responded to 61 questions in a snapshot survey which has been collected, collated and reproduced in the report. The assessment arrives at a key moment in our battle against COVID-19 as we look to advocate for and protect the interests of EMS as a vital part of the nation's response to the pandemic. To understand what makes up EMS across the nation by type and volume are key metrics. The National EMS Assessment provides answers on who, how and with what and gives an indicator to the size and complexity of our national EMS delivery system. It also raises questions and offers a to-do list, particularly now that we have no choice but to operate in the new normal. Covered within the assessment are sections on EMS organisations, its professionals, communications, response and patient care, information systems, workforce, health and safety, funding and perhaps importantly this month, disaster preparedness. This article offers an interpretation of the key points of the 200-page report in a thousand words or less. The time-honoured saying of once you've seen one EMS system, you've seen one EMS system, may have some credibility, as the report opens by identifying that agencies vary in types of services they provide, and state EMS officers vary in the types of regulatory oversight they administer. So, it's all the same, but different. More than 18,200 local EMS agencies respond to 911 calls for medical emergencies and injuries, employing nearly 73,500 ground vehicles, such as ambulances and fire engines. Whoever said don't call us ambulance drivers should take note, they're not autonomous vehicles yet. 41 states responded they conducted 42 million agency responses for EMS calls in 2018, which means there were probably more. The staggering number means that out of the entire US population, one person in 10 made a 911 call for assistance. Of course, as we know, some callers have a greater frequency than just one a year, and this itself is the primary target of the Community Paramedic Intervention and ET3 of the future. EMS conducted 30 million patient transports from the scene to an emergency department, alternative destination or between facilities. 
by any measure that is a considerable amount of mobile health care being delivered, which as we know is more than just driving the patient to the hospital, but providing intervention, care and life-saving on the move. 54 states reported a total of 1,052,843 licensed professionals, including 583,000 EMTs, 268,000 paramedics and 21,000 emergency medical dispatchers, all overseen by over 9,000 medical directors. Just think, if we could all lobby for change in the same direction at the same time, we would be a true force to be reckoned with. The age of providers is a fascinating insight into our industry. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the majority sit in the 22 to 49-year-old age groups, with a distribution peaking at 30 to 49 years. In terms of ethnicity and gender, fewer states were able to report out. Respondents identified, by mean average, that 50% of their workforce were white, with 14% Asian, Black or African American workforce, and that 72% were male. This is an area we can and must do better in terms of reporting and opportunity. EMS is most certainly an equal opportunity employer, and we welcome all comers that seek to care for their fellow human beings. I previously worked in a state that was unable to quantify the ethnicity of its workforce in a time when it was, and still is, essential to understand if there was a diverse mix of both workforce and opportunity for all. The National EMS Assessment identifies EMS agency use of video, telemedicine, telehealth in real time is not common, with 76% of respondents either reflecting no or unknown use of telemedicine. The assessment also offered that it will be interesting to see the impact of these numbers with the advent of CMMI's pilot project ET3, which requires real-time video telehealth for some purposes. That was a view from the 2018-19 era, of course, and as we know, the future has rapidly arrived and CMS waivers opened up telemedicine applications, which in turn enable the wider use of as-yet uncompensated treat-in-place initiatives. The two-way camera and screen is inevitably the portal to the future intervention, consultation and treatment, and I suspect in the space of the last few months, much has changed out of urgent necessity. The survey offers an important focus on data and databases. The future exchange of information and intelligence must feature strongly in our ongoing evolution. Strikingly, the section of Nemesis data collection raises concerns about how data is aggregated when using Nemesis versions with different standards and definitions. One of the most powerful EMD COVID-19 era presentations I've seen so far employed Nemesis data aggregated on a national level to identify the cardiac arrest increase slash STEMI decrease question, and we all asked that question a few weeks ago. This level of intelligence product is employed at the national level and should be an essential service as we look after the health and public health of our population at risk. Linking data sources also featured poorly in the question on other healthcare-related data systems that EMS may be connected to. Examples of systems we could be connected to but most don't include motor vehicle crash and traffic record systems, ED and hospital discharge databases, stroke, STEMI and trauma registries, and health information exchanges. Talking of which, only 6% of respondents were linked at the time to HIE.
With the event of COVID-19 release telemedicine waivers and more field and home-based treatments launching, this number has likely increased. This is one definite area for technological improvement. There are now EMS-friendly tech companies that can now effortlessly join it all together. With cooperation and alignment, we can make it happen. The survey also provides a retrospective snapshot of each state's mass casualty and disaster preparedness plans. Just a year ago, 28% or 11 states, including Texas, did not participate in the CDC Public Health Preparedness Programme Cooperative Agreement. A further 58% of states did not take part in the FEMA Homeland Security Grant Programme. It would be interesting to fast forward and gauge state involvement with both FEMA and CDC programmes now. In terms of MCI exercises and events, the most used scenario, as declared by states, was in fact drills of a biological nature, followed by natural disasters. The most employed mobilisation to an MCI in real time was to natural disaster, followed sadly by the response to active shooter events. In 2020, hopefully, our participation in Emergency Operations Centre, EOCs, Emergency Support Functions, ESFs, and Command Posts has fully cemented the EMS place and role in disaster response and public health management. It's encouraging that the report notes that 90% participation in ESF-8 activities, and as you know, ESF-8 activities include assessment of public health and medical needs, health surveillance, medical care personnel, health, medical and veterinary equipment and supplies, patient evacuation, patient care, public health and medical information, and probably importantly, vector control. I can personally vouch for the importance of this position in most disasters and long-term emergencies, as I had the honour to lead the ESF function, along with my public health opposite number, within the City of Richmond, Virginia EOC for many years through extreme weather events to protests and demonstrations, and health and public health play a major part in it all. The lesson I've taken away from almost three decades of disaster participation at EOC in the UK Gold Command and ESF leadership is that the response is always well rehearsed and attended. The recovery is often neglected. It's sometimes a case of that winning the war is easy, but keeping the peace is harder. And right now, we need recovery and peace, and they're an absolute priority. The National EMS Assessment is a good read. And the fact that it contained more images than words suited me well. Seriously, though, it offered great stats on our industry and perhaps with a little answer interpretation provides an insight into where and what we need to go and do next. In terms of report analysis, having digested the 2020 vision, perhaps we also need to dust off the recently published EMS Agenda 2050 to see if the arrival of COVID-19 and the disruptive change caused has blurred our image of the future perhaps next time. As always, those were my views. I would love to hear yours on the main webpage comments section at ems1.com in my one-stop column. Please follow me on Twitter at UKRobL or over on LinkedIn. You can find me by searching my name. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, just hang on for a second because coming right up is another great episode of Inside EMS with Chris and Kelly. So that's all for now. I've been Rob Lawrence. Until next time, bye for now.